This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly host, Dre Harrison. Glad you could join us as ever after one of the best F1 races of the year, at least in my humble opinion. That Italian Grand Prix was a very, very fun one indeed. So, of course, you've sent us many a hot take regarding that race. And joining me in the chair for the second week in a row, we really must stop meeting like this. It's Ollie Swift again. Good to see you, buddy. How's it going? I'm going really well. Thank you, mate. It's been uh, another really good week of Formula One. So I'm really pleased to be uh, taking on some of these hot takes with you. Yep. Second week in a row. And he was on the WTF Unwrap this past weekend as well. Um, thank goodness the uh, the royalty check is in the mail. Um, <laughs> it'll, it'll roll up sometime in August next year. <laughs> right. So for those who don't know, because every podcast is somebody's first, you, the fine WTF1 audience, sends us in your hot takes. The place you can do that is on our Twitter account, WTF1 Official. We put out a Hot Takes Wednesday tweet every Monday, which you can reply to. And, of course, you can also contact us via email, contact at WTF1.com if you want to email us. Or you can tag me somewhere on social media. You can DM me on Twitter at Dre underscore WTF1 or Instagram, just take out the underscore um dre wtf1 over there on that one if you want to dm me on there with your hot takes as well i've tried to get a, a mix and match of, of as many as i can from different places over the course of the weeks and months so once we send in your takes me and our guest in this case ollie will will discuss the take we'll go a little bit of back and forth on it and then we'll score it on a scale of one to five one uh, being that we strongly disagree with it, and five being that we strongly agree with the take. So, Ollie, you know what you know what you're doing by now. Are you ready for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday, my friend? I'm excited, mate. Let's get into it. Let's do it straight from the top and straight to the point from a Chidi B on Twitter who says, uh, "Quote: Logan Sargent won't have a seat in 2024." Simple and to the point. Logan Sargent will be without a seat in 2024 so Oddie, what do you make of that one mate yeah i think it's an interesting uh hot take for sure there's obviously been a little bit more scrutiny in the last few weeks of logan than perhaps there had been earlier of the season probably compounded by the success that alex is having in that williams and just the difficulty that he is having in finding that world championship point that he so desperately needs to contribute to the team i also think it's quite an interesting one though because there's a lot of moving parts now happening, maybe more so than we were anticipating from just a few weeks ago in the driver market. You know, not all the seats are filled across the teams. There's some movement happening now uh, within the Red Bull structure with Alpha Tauri, with Liam Lawson. There's some people that I think Williams might be keeping tabs of to debate, maybe even buying some contracts out. There's even talk about Mick Schumacher having a little look in, in that role, obviously close association and legacy ties with Mercedes with Williams at the moment as well. So mm. there's a huge amount potentially that is causing Logan some risk. I think one of the things that even Nico Rosberg was talking about, I think just this morning or possibly yesterday even, was that 
with his connections to Williams as well, he understands that Logan does bring quite a significant package of uh, financial investment. Williams maybe not as desperate for money as they previously were, but still, you know, every little helps, as they say. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, if Albon stays at, at Williams for 2024, which I think he's contracted to, but there's, you know, people debating maybe even buying him out. Aston Martin could be an interesting landing spot for Albon, I always think, and have been thinking for a little while. There could be some room to chop and change, but I do think despite his struggles, James Vowles has talked a lot about the slow incremental development and improvements that he wants to make at Williams. And I've got a sense that he's maybe a a fan of stability. And if he can keep Alex performing really well, if Logan can just elevate his game and chip in with, you know, 10, 20 points, maybe next season, 20 is maybe a bit of a stretch, but let's say he gets into the double digits next season, if he does keep hold of him, he'll be looking a lot better than he currently is. So, so much to consider there. I rambled at you a long time there, Dre, but (laughs) I, I, I just, I just think that, he will still be there for me come the end of uh, this season. I think they'll give him one more stab at it. I think there's enough reason to keep him. He's shown a few flashes, but I think if some dominoes start falling elsewhere around the F1 driver lineup, that's when he might need to start having a quick look over his shoulder at, at who's chasing him down. Yeah. I, f- I think there's a lot in there that I, f- I ultimately agree with. I think Logan's in a bit of trouble. And I think the reason why he's in a bit of trouble is there's been other rookies that have been very impressive this year. Oscar Piastri has been outstanding as a rookie at McLaren. He's been, yeah, the head-to-heads may not be so kind to him, but I think in terms of raw speed and ability, he's very close to what Norris is at the moment, which is good. Like, that's exactly what McLaren needed compared to Ricardo last year. Liam Lawson, I think, is also on virtually next to no time has had to come into a very difficult AlphaTauri situation, the bottom of the Constructors' Championship, um, very little seat time overall, and has immediately acted like he belongs. He was solid in Zandvoort, didn't put a foot wrong there. First proper weekend um, at Monza was 11th, just outside of the points. That's excellent for, for a second weekend in F1. And and a a car and a team that's not in a particularly good place at the moment. So um, you look at those two rookies performing really well. And then you look at the Logan Sargent, who I don't think has out-qualified Albon once this year. I don't think he's finished a single race this year in a higher spot than Albon. He's he's put in what I call the head-to-head double donut, which is not ideal (laughs) um, at all. Now, Williams tends to give their drivers time, which is good. Um, you know, I, I I like the fact that they tried to give their drivers. I mean, they, I mean, they gave Nicholas Latifi three years. Now, I don't know how much of that was the financial side of what Latifi was bringing to the table as opposed to his actual ability. But Williams don't tend to make rash decisions on drivers. They tend to give their drivers time. I do worry about Sergeant, though, is that, is that Albon has proven that this car is clearly capable of scoring points on a good day. And he, they have an opportunity here to maximize what they've got right now in this current car. It's clearly not a complete bottom feeder anymore. It's a good car. It's a lot better than what it was. It's seventh in the constructors right now. It's better than Haas, better than Alpha, um, and better than that that bottom of the table they've been hanging around for the last half decade. They've got something here for the first time in a while. And having a second scorer that can get you in the points could be priceless at that level, given that 
We've seen how blocky the midfield can be. So Sargent putting up the rear, finishing 13th, you know, got into a collision with Bottas off camera. We didn't see, but he was penalised for when he was running in the points for a good chunk of that race. I don't want to completely write off Sargent. There is clearly something here. I don't don't think this is another Latifi situation or a Mazepin situation where he's he's a complete write-off. But at certain points, he's got to start standing out on his own two legs, and he's just not done that for me this season. And I loved the Mick Schumacher point you made as well, because... James Vowles is close to Mercedes. He came from that Brackley unit, did 20 years over there. Um, you know, it's um it's, it's obviously he's got ties to Toto. Toto wants Mick in a car. He's made that very clear this time since Mick's joined Mercedes as a reserve driver. You know, it it, it suits all parties. There's a technical alliance there. He wants to get Mick in a car. Like it, and I think it would be an upgrade over Sergeant on paper. I think that's the play if you're James Vowles and Williams, if you want to cut bait with Logan Sergeant early. I think that's the way to play it if you're Williams. Whether Vowles wants to do that, I don't know. Because like you said, I think you're absolutely right. He's he's playing it slow. He's just trying to put his his plan in place and trying to instill some confidence and a foundation for Williams to build off of. I'm just not sure if Sergeant's the guy you want to commit to long term if you're going to make that work. So I'm leaning towards agreeing with Chidi on this one. I think there's too many decent drivers that could potentially be on the market next year. I'm still not sure what, what they're going to do with Sonoda. Does Liam Lawson want a seat permanently? Could, Williams could make. Could, I mean, if Williams are prepared to take Albon. On, on loan with Red Bull back in and Red Bull sponsorship. Why couldn't they do the same with someone like Sonoda or Lawson? You know, that's a possibility. If they if they really are committed to Ricardo, even post-injury for next year as well, that could be a way of compromising a lot of people and pleasing a lot of parties. Mick Schumacher could be available. I'm sure he would take the opportunity to be back on the grid if he could get it. I just think they're all better options than Logan Sargent right now. I think Sargent's like the bottom of of thoughts as to what I would do with Williams right now if I was in Val's position. So with that in mind, I'm going to say four, Chidi, on this take. I think I generally agree with the idea that I think Logan might be one and done, which is a real shame for him. I don't think he's a bad driver at all. It's just so ruthless for driver talent now in Formula 1. The grid is as good as it's ever been, in my opinion, and... When that's the the lay of the land in Formula One right now, it makes you have to be so much better to be able to justify keeping your seat. And Sergeant just hasn't, for me, done enough to justify it. How would you score it, Ollie? I don't want to be that guy who goes down the middle of the road, but I just I can't quite stretch to a four, and I I can't pull myself to a two either. So I am going to go three. I think it's it's a toss of a coin for me. I think it's the total clash between what you've just said, Dre. You know. Is it worth them taking some of the talent that is probably going to be available at the end of the season still or sticking with what they know and not having to go through any of that change and try and keep the forward momentum? So I think it's literally 50-50 for him at the minute. So I'm, I'm going to go three. 
free. You cop out. And the, <laughs> and he got the free out of the way and we're less than 10 minutes in. Ugh, terrible form. Terrible. Can't have that. I kid. Right. Take number two comes from Daydream Cinema on Twitter. And Daydream Cinema says, and this is a controversial one, that is totally not going to split the room. Max's success and the praise he's getting shows the lack of appreciation people have had for what Lewis has done. 10 wins in a row gets more praise than 103 wins and seven championships. There's always a double standard with Lewis. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I, 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 okay. Guilt, guilty secret. I may have picked this one. I, I, I am fanning <laughs> the flames a little bit here. Uh, Max's success and praise he's getting shows the lack of appreciation for what Lewis has done. 10 wins in a row gets more praise than 103 wins and seven titles. There's always a double standard with Lewis. Now, I'll take this one first, and because I, I picked the thing, it's only fair. I think a lot of this is is based on perception, and I think the old phrase goes, "Perception is nine tenths of the law." Now, I'm going to assume this person is a Hamilton fan because I don't think he would send it and send in a tweet like this if he didn't support him. <laughs> Are we revising history? Are we pretending that Lewis didn't get any special treatment for some of his big milestone wins? Because he absolutely did. I remember his 91st win and Mick giving him one of Michael Schumacher's helmets. That was a beautiful gesture. I remember the Senna family when he overtook his pole position record, gave him one of his helmets. I remember the big effort Formula One made with special graphics and 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 whatnot when he won his seventh title. I remember the 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 highlight montage they, they displayed that like that was such a cool moment. I absolutely adored that when he won that seventh title in Turkey. The hundredth win was was montaged and graphicked up and put all over social media. I don't think that Lewis's uh, achievements have been watered down in any way or that they, they, they've they not been appreciated enough. I think when you're on the outside looking in, and this is a bit of psychology from me, but, you know, I, this is just my opinion. I think if you're on the outside looking in and somebody else is, is being successful, you're probably not going to get behind it as much as if it's your favorite driver that's going through those moments. And I think that's, naturally going to happen when on one side of the coin, if you're a Hamilton fan, you had that dominant run of winning through the turbo hybrids while on the other side of the coin now post 2022, it's been Max getting that same attention Two completely polar opposites in terms of drivers and fan bases and who they like more. I don't, I, I, I don't, I just don't believe that Hamilton's achievements have been like, squashed i think people are just very in the moment i think that's how sports generally is consumed i think it's a very reactive thing i think it's a very in the moment sort of thing so of course in real time max is going to get a bit of rub for 10 wins we've never seen that before in f1 history um and contrary to what toto wolf thinks um even though wikipedia is my second home I do believe it's a bit more important than just relegating it to stat nerds. Uh, uh, Oddie is a quiz master, and I'm sure you've used Wikipedia on many an occasion yourself. Uh, what, what have you made of of Max's ten wins and how it's gone down in terms of the community in general? And do you do you think there's a lack of appreciation for Lewis? I don't think so. I totally agree with your stance. You know, people live in the extremes when it comes to sport. You know, I'm a huge football fan. I go to Walsall games every week. You're either 
ultimately depressed or totally jubilant and there's very rarely time to settle in the middle and mm. when you you know step back or when you try to create podcast and content like this you know it's good to try and become a little bit more objective and i think you've hit the nail on the head there dre you know lewis was getting the praise he deserved at the time when he was doing all these things all the amazing records he was breaking all the race wins you know he was he was the man and you know right now max is the man and he's the guy who should be getting the praise and i think as you said, I imagine uh, Daydream Cinema is a um, is a Lewis fan. And so what he probably sees on socials and what gets most reaction from him is probably the max praise because you tend to gravitate towards the things that rile you up and get you a little bit more frustrated. The pronouns are she, her, just, just to quickly interject there. Sorry about that. Mm, that's, no my, that's, bad. Um, that's, that's my bad. I should have made that a bit clearer. Um, yeah, no problem. Um, so, yeah, in terms of what was what they're probably perceiving they must feel like Max is getting all the praise right now because it is, is everywhere. I saw some stuff on social about, is there some weird agenda in the sphere, in the media sphere at the moment to push and promote Max and talk about how great the tens wins are as opposed to the dominance. But I think that's just people realizing that there's been so much back and forth between Lewis and Max fans for so many years now that you do have to sit and appreciate it. And I think, you hit the nail on the head 10 wins in a row we've never seen it before we should be making a big deal out of this whether you think it's boring or whether you think it's the greatest thing to ever happen um you know this really is something special that has has occurred and i think if lewis had done it you'd be hearing about it just as much absolutely i mean hamilton is the greatest statistical driver in f1 history and i think also a small part of that problem is that Hamilton virtually ran unopposed for about six years in the middle of that turbo hybrid. I mean, we had a Rosberg was a threat for a couple of those years. Vettel was on the outside looking in a little bit, but wasn't able to put a full campaign together. Towards the back end of that dominant run, Lewis was when he was, Lewis was really cranking it up. Like 2020, I remember he won 11 out of 17 that year. That was a ridiculous season. Um, it's probably Hamilton's best year. And yeah, I think when it Formula One is a sport inherently based on dominance, it's one of those things that you cannot avoid. It is an engineer. Like, the problem is, we as fans, I think, care most about the drivers when it's an engineering sport, first and foremost. The best car tends to win 95% of the time. You get outliers here and there, but it's rare you get two cars on the same level throughout a whole season. Um, so and like I said, if you're supporting one guy and the other guy, your arch nemesis is winning, chances are you're probably not going to be that excited about it. And when people dominate, I think people get more cynical in general. I think it's like, oh, well, matches wins every week in the same way that it was Lewis winning every week or Vettel winning every week or Schumacher when I was a youngster growing up. I sound old saying that as a 31 year old man, but here we are. Um, that's the bread and butter of Formula One. That's what makes it what it is as a sport. And like I said, I think when you're in the here and now and the way sport is, you react to in the moment. You 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 glorify the present and you hype up the future more than look back to the past. And I think it's a bit I think it's easy to look back at Lewis's time and say, well, maybe we didn't give him enough credit. Um and there might be something to that, but from what I remember as a fan, Lewis was getting plenty of praise. He, I've said it before, he's a transcendent star. He is 
he's like a Usain Bolt, a Ronnie O'Sullivan, a Roger Federer, someone who can bring people in who aren't normal watchers of their sport. Like that's for me is the elite tier of some of the biggest name athletes in the world. And I think Hamilton is in that conversation. So I don't think that, I think it's easier to look back and say, well, maybe we didn't give him enough credit. In some cases, that I think that's true. Nico Rosberg, I often use as an example. He was a lot better than we gave him credit for at the time, in my opinion. But you look back at it now and you go, well, yeah, you probably didn't give him enough credit for being so close to Lewis in the end. Um, perspective, like I said, perception is nine tenths of the law. I'm going to say two overall on this take. I don't, I don't think it's a howler. I don't, I don't massively disagree with it. Um, but I, I generally disagree with the notion that Lewis didn't get enough appreciation. I think he absolutely did. I just think that it's more based on the fan divide between Lewis winning now and Max winning and the transition we've had since 2022, I would say. What do you reckon, Ollie? I think um, it's not a howler of a take. Like you said, I completely understand it, but I am going to go with one because I do just disagree wow. with the, the premise of it. Damn. Totally, I, I totally understand where they're coming from in terms of their view. But I just don't think that, um, you know, there's a lack of appreciation for Lewis at all. And, and I'm a Lewis fan, so uh, I say that with love. <laughs> Most popular driver in F1 doesn't get enough appreciation. Mm. <laughs> can't, can't say I fully get behind that one personally. <laughs> but uh, thanks for the take, Daydream Cinema. Um, apologies for, for the key mentions a little bit there. That was that's my fault for not putting pronouns in, in the notes I took. That's, that's on me, so I apologize for that. We'll be back with some more of Hot Takes Wednesday right after a word from our sponsor for this episode, DraftKings. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team could go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code WTF1. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code WTF1. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call in at 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort KS, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issue. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Back to the show. Take number three comes from Marcin Zygmunt. Uh, Marcin, I've seen you on the show before, my friend. Marcin says, Vettel's record was more impressive than Verstappen's. Vettel's record was more impressive than Verstappen. So we're repraising Vettel's nine. I assume we're talking about here more than Verstappen's 10. What do you make of that one, Ollie? Because I know you're a Vettel fan as well. We're, we're yeah. both in the same boat. We both saw those streaks. I think the, you know, numerically speaking, 10 is greater than nine. However, that being said, I do think that Seb's nine in a row was perhaps more impressive. I'm using inverted commas for those listening. Mm. More impressive in the sense that that 2013 season didn't actually have the Red Bull dominance until the second half of the season. So. What I mean by that is we had, um, I think we had Lotus win a race. We had Ferrari win races. We had both the Mercedes guys win races during that season. And then Vettel just came in towards the end and absolutely dominated through from Belgium to Brazil. Um, Whereas what we're sort of seeing with Max right now is that there only seems to be one contender for a race win at the moment. Now, if the final half third of the season that we've got left, we suddenly see loads of other winners. Maybe we'll look back and think, you know, was that actually more impressive from Max at the start of the season? But the margins by which he's winning and the ease at which he is just being able to, you know, front row to victory, back of the grid to victory, da 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 maybe because it's so recent and it's been so relentless right now, you know, I don't really feel like he has been challenged for a race win almost up until this weekend where Carlos gave him one of the, the, the toughest challenges for it. Um you know, Seb's first win that season was round two, didn't win again till round four. So there's a little bit more, you know, back and forth during that season. So in that sense, it might have been more impressive for the the run that he went on. However, I think any standalone record in Formula One needs to be viewed with the appreciation that it has. So I guess it depends how you define the term impressive. You know, when we look back, the the, the record books will show the the number in the column. It won't show how and when they were and by what margin. We'll just see that 10, which is probably going to become 11, maybe 12, maybe 13. Who um, knows? Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. The, the word impressive is maybe what's throwing me, but I generally can see what they mean. Yeah, this is a tricky one because I was a huge Vettel fan, obviously, growing up and and and... Like as I was becoming a content creator, it was right in the middle of Vettel's run of dominance. And 2013 was kind of an interesting time because the turbo hybrids was a year away. I think a lot of Red Bull's competition had shut it down around summer break sort of time, preparing themselves for their 2014 cars, which was obviously a huge part of the next chapter of F1. Red Bull kept their foot on the gas. I distinctively remember that. And that's what led to Vettel winning nine in a row. And the thing that's a kicker for me in this is that Vettel did have a, a couple of threats here and there. His teammate was still good enough to stay with him on occasion, Mark Webber at the time. And Romain Grosjean was also very solid around that sort of time in the Lotus as well. There was a couple of races in there like Japan where he was a genuine threat um, for Vettel on those on those days. And I think 
I, I could see why somebody would make that argument about Vettel's run because Max's situation at Red Bull is, well, let's cut to the chase. It's not exactly ideal from an entertainment standpoint. You know, no one is challenging Red Bull in terms of quality of car right now. And Sergio Perez has struggled for a lot of this 10 race streak, specifically in qualifying. He's like, Perez has not given himself very many opportunities to try and win one of these. Um, this was probably the best Perez has been in that 10 race run. Unfortunately, even then he was still six seconds off. So I could see the argument, certainly, but I think there's there's asterisks you could use on both of these streaks if you really wanted to. I think Red Bull did have a dominant card towards the back end of 2013, but I would also say that I think Vettel back then did suffer a bit more hardship to get through those nine wins. But again, you could also look at the Stappen streak and go, well, some of these are also a bit dodgy. Like, for example... We've had a lot of rain this season. You know, like Zandvoort was a was a messy Grand Prix where one wrong strategic move or driver error could end your day. Like that is the sort of race that is a minefield for something like that. Canada, for example, Silverstone, McLaren came out of nowhere and was pretty close. And we had the late safety car as well, which could have messed things up. There, there's pros and cons on either side of this one for me. I don't normally do this. I'm going to take the free option on this one. <laughs> I, I I don't want to, but I think you could probably craft a valid argument one way or the other on this one. I think there is certainly things you could say that could maybe take some of the gloss off for Stappen's 10 race one. Obviously, most ridiculous F1 car we've probably ever seen. Perez hasn't been great, but there's also you could kind of do the same for, for 10 years ago with 2013 and Weber not being so great. It was his retirement season, not a particularly impressive set of cars that could beat Red Bull towards the back end of that season either. Maybe a bit of Lotus, but not much that was threatening Seb towards the end of that year either. Maybe a bit of Mercedes thrown in there as well with Rosberg and Hamilton, but I think you can kind of make that same case for either streak. So I'm going to say three on this one. What do you reckon, Ollie? I've played my three joker, so I'm going to go four. I'm going to say I probably slightly agree with that mm. statement. I uh, I think to your point, yeah, you know, they focus so much. They then obviously we then entered the Mercedes dominant era, but I do think hardship is a great word. I think that you use there. I think. Seb maybe had to get through a little bit more to do them. So I'd say the nine, the the joint nines. Seb's is better, but Max's ten beats Seb's nine. <laughs> Entirely fair. I completely, I completely get that, and I respect the fact you play this game on hard mode and only use the free once. I, I you have, you have my respect, Ollie. I, I, I do appreciate that. Even though you used it straight away, you, which, which might be difficult coming down the line here, but yeah. we'll have to wait and see how these last two takes go down. Take number four comes from Kevin Snodgrass, who sent me a DM on Twitter. Let me quickly refine it again. It says, yeah, since the F2 champion can't return to F2, they should get an automatic promotion to F1, and the lowest scoring F1 driver should be relegated. Love the podcast. Look forward to it every week. Thanks for all you do. Thanks, Kevin. That's very kind of you, my friend. So one more time, since the F2 champion can't return to F2, they should get an automatic promotion to F1 and the lowest scoring driver should be relegated. We're going football on this one, Ollie. We're going <laughs> automatic relegation and promotion, which I think is 
fun. It's an it's an interesting idea. I mean, what did you what do you think of that first of all? What's what's your gut telling you on this one? I think something would like this would be really entertaining. I think the premise of it is great on you know on paper. I think the practicalities of it make this really something that just wouldn't be viable for the sport and not really an option that that Formula One could pursue. I think, you know, the rule that the champion can't return has, I think it's there in, in good spirit. I think the 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 idea was hopefully they would filter on either to, to other greater series or, or into Formula One. But I think realistically, an F2 driver's dream is to become a Formula One driver. And obviously it is the next step down in terms of that formula route within, uh, you know, the F321 uh, structure. So, you know, I don't think it can happen realistically, but I like the idea that there should be something to do. One idea I heard forever ago would be there was there would be like a Formula One own works team that is somehow, you know, outsourced to one of these uh, manufacturers who want to come in. And then every year, you know, the, the F2 guy comes in, gets a two year contract. The next one comes and you give this sort of breeding ground to talent in what would probably be quite a poor car. So that was quite an interesting idea I heard once. So I love where Kevin is coming from. I think the idea, like you said, sort of in the football realm, I, I love it on, in principle, but I just think the practicalities of it in terms of drivers, contracts, money that comes in, loanies, people's dads owning teams, all this sort of stuff. It's just, uh, it's not something that would be viable, but the premise is brilliant. Yeah, I love the idea. It's a fun idea. As a, as a as a big football fan, I try to hide the fact I'm a Manchester United fan where I can at the moment. It's not been the best of weeks. Um, but yeah, I I I get the premise. I and I I do love the idea, the whole idea of promotion and relegation. And it's one of these ideas to try and try and make Formula Two a bit more relevant at the moment because yeah, F2's in a tricky place right now. We've got an abundance of young talent in the sport. Promotions are hard. It's not a sustainable series for young drivers to be competing, given the amount of money they have to raise to be in there. You're under time pressure to, you know, probably ideally win it or at least come close within two years. Otherwise, you probably won't get an F1 seat. You're not getting paid for it. It's There's a lot of problems with Formula 2 in terms of how it functions as a junior ladder series. So I compl- I like, because this is, this, is, this is true, because in IndyCar, if you're a fan of IndyCar, you get a guaranteed at least part-time deal in IndyCar if you win their second series, the Indy Next series, formerly known as Lights. Um, and I would like to see something like that in Formula One as something as, you know, a guaranteed path of progression, I think is something that, you know, I would love to see happen. But as you say, feasibly, it would be impossible to, 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 to maintain. Cause first of all, who's signing them? Whoever wins that promotion, like one team would be guaranteed and obligated to sack one of their current drivers and then bring in whoever this Formula Two champion graduate is, like what sort of contract guarantee would there be on something like that? You have to sack the person that, that gets relegated. They have to go into an F2 seat. The sponsors that that driver may have might not be able to carry them over into F2. They might not be as valuable because not as many people watch that junior series. What if the relegated driver wants to leave the ladder altogether? Maybe go to IndyCar. We've seen that very commonly with a lot of their drivers recently. Yuri Vips, Marcus Armstrong, Christian Lungard. All over there in America now, doing well in IndyCar. Well, maybe not so much Vips, but Lungard. Oh, that, that, that boy's a talent. You, you can see where I'm getting at here. 
feasibly and logistically, it would be impossible. And it's such a shame because I agree with the ultimate premise. I want to see guaranteed promotion. I want to see a clear path for younger drivers to get to Formula One because I look at the situation right now in F1 and I think, is anybody coming up next year? Like, Theo Porcher might, if he wins the title, he's got one hand on the title going into the final round at, at, at Abu Dhabi at the end of the season. He's probably going to win the title. He's got a 25-point lead. Dark, like, And Alfa Romeo could easily say, we're happy with Joe. So Porcher misses out again, and he's done three years in Formula 2 already, so what happens next? You know, it's... I get the frustration because there's no one else that leaps off the page as an F1 prospect. Maybe not this year, maybe next year, like maybe an Oddie Behrman or maybe, you know, Victor Martins, for example. I want automatic promotion. It's just, there's too much political red tape and there's too many contracts to iron out um, for that to ever make it work. But I love the idea, Kevin. It's a five for the idea. Yeah, <laughs> but ultimately, though, I I have to say one because it's just not it's just not possible. But man, I would I would love for it to find a way for that to happen. But I I love the idea, Kevin, and I hope you appreciate that. But uh, it's just not doable, unfortunately. So I have to say one. I'm going to assume you're in agreement here, Ollie. Yeah, it's going to have to be a one, but not because of what's been said as the take just because the practicalities are so hard. I think it's a brilliant idea, but yeah, one just because it's just not viable. Yeah, exactly. That's it's a shame. I said, Kevin, we love the idea. Like for what it's worth, I'm sure it's worth something. It's a brilliant idea. I, I, I love it. I love bringing a bit of football into play. Again, it's used to talk about football on an F1 podcast. Love that. Just, it's just not doable in F1 at the way it is right now. There'd have to be, there'd have to be a lot of, political rang and a lot of, you'd have to be fundamentally changing how contracts are written for that to be able to work and that is going to be an issue right we got time for one more quick take and it's come from paul haboba on instagram hi paul and paul says leclerc is the only driver who gets remembered for four or five good races a year anyone else would have been criticized by now i wonder if this is on the back of carlos signs this past weekend any guesses um <laughs> Leclerc is the only driver who gets remembered for four to five good races a year. Anyone else would have been criticized by now, says Paul. What do you make of that one, Ollie? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think Charles benefits massively from being the sort of, you know, Ferrari poster boy in the sense that they gave him that really big contract. They were very keen uh, to get him in very quickly from uh, Alfa Romeo, from Sauber, uh, to bring him into the team as well. And it looked like he was the next guy to go on and do something. And I think the problem that he's had is that he's just not really had the car to challenge all the way through consistently through an entire season. You know, that debut season he had in 2019 with the, with the Ferrari team, not his debut season, the first season with Ferrari was brilliant. Lots of podiums. He got those back-to-back wins. He went on a really good spree where he seemed to be on the podium constantly. Um, but he was competing in that era where, again, you know, Mercedes and Red Bull were just a little bit too quick. Uh, had his best season last year where... At one point, you know, it looked like he started with a was it a one two one or a one three one? I can't remember, but he, you know, he won two of the first uh, few races, and it seemed to be really yeah. looking like we had a scrap on our hands. And then, you know, the Red Bull dominance came again. So um, he does seem—I don't want to say protected necessarily, 
Um, but I think he has a lot of, um, he's got a strong fan base. He's got a really strong uh, fanatical uh, story behind him. He's the long-term guy that Ferrari want to look to. And I don't see him going anywhere. And I wonder if maybe that's where um, this criticism from Paul is maybe coming from. He, he almost seems, you know, unmovable no matter what happens. Um, but I wouldn't say that he only has four to five good races a year. He has lots of really great races a year. He just doesn't really have the car to consistently be where he would want to be. So I, I understand, I think, where Paul's coming from, if I understand where the frustration yeah. from him is. But um, I, I think I would maybe disagree with it on, on the face of that question. Like, Charles Leclerc was championship runner-up last year. Like, he was comfortably better than Carlos Sainz over a full season. And I, I think people like ferrari fans of I've, course I've, I've noticed this this take came up two or three times in in when i was looking through picks to take for this episode and takes in general do people like carlos Sainz's consistency that much more than leclerc is is that it i mean don't get me wrong i think charl i think Car- carlos Sainz is a very solid pair of hands i think he's a very safe pair of hands he's only finished outside of the points twice all year he's racked up points in unideal situations week in week on week and there is something to that there's apps that's absolutely a, a praiseworthy quality to have in a racing driver charles leclerc is just a better racing driver for me than carlos Sainz is the upside in that ferrari setup clearly comes from charles like charles has had three podiums this year to Sainz is one some of the dnfs have been have been more down to ferrari like like bahrain was a complete disaster he was running third in that race they burned through both their electronic stores and he ended up starting Saudi Arabia with a grid penalty. The second race of the year. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a couple of rounds a year where, where Leclerc will bin it. Like 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 Australia was a, was a rough one, for example. But the upside in that team clearly comes from Charles. I think he's one of the best qualifiers in Formula. He's got 20 pole positions in his career already. He has five wins. He was clearly leading that title threat in 2022 when that season started. I've not seen any evidence that Carlos Sainz is one of these guys that can go into a weekend and potentially win week in and week out. I think all things being equal, I think Charles is just the better driver overall. And I would rather have the guy that's a little bit more peaky than the consistent guy, because you need to win races to win championships. And Carlos has done it once in his career. And even that Silverstone win was a complete Horlix from Ferrari. You watch that race back. It was a strategic disaster. Ferrari was trying not to win that race, and they just about won it anyway. I stand, I will die on this hill that Leclerc is just a better racing driver than Carlos Sainz. I, I like Carlos. I think the t- the way their two drivers are complement each other very, very well. But I just think Leclerc is your ceiling, and I think Sainz is your floor. That's how I've always looked at those two at Ferrari. It's a great pairing. It's a great set of drivers to have in a team, and they are far from the problem at Ferrari. But Leclerc is him. I think he's one of the best two or three drivers in the world, Leclerc. I genuinely do. Sainz, I think, is a tier below that, personally. So for me... I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say two. I I, I disagree with this. I get the argument, and the club does have the bad days, and the bad days stand out more at that higher sort of level. But I would happily have Leclerc over signs for a full season, comfortably. What do you make? What do you make of that, Ollie? Real quick. 
Well, I think your uh, I think your rant there proves to Paul that you can't criticize Leclerc at all. Otherwise, Dre will come and protect him at all costs. <laughs> no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I get my brass knuckles you... <laughs> out of the drawer. No, 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 I'm joking. I think uh, I think I agree with you. I think it's a two for me. I think I can sort of understand where Paul's coming from, but I wouldn't say he doesn't get criticized. I would say maybe you know we just as as you've just pointed out, you know he's maybe a little bit more peaky, but um, I think he's remembered an appropriate amount for, for remembrance. <laughs> yes. So I will go two on that one as well. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that one. Ollie, tell the good people where they can find you before you get out of here. Awesome. Yeah, find me on TikTok predominantly, Ollie Swift F1 there for the F1 Quickfire Quiz. Uh, you can also find me under that same handle, Ollie Swift F1 on Twitter and YouTube as well. So yeah, check out those for uh, daily Formula One quizzes and my occasional thoughts on on the news of the Formula One world. Yeah, check him out there, please. He does great content. Um, and again, Ollie's a fantastic guest to have on the show. He very much enjoy working with him. Please give him a bump from me already. We'll be back next week for more of your spicy hot takes on Hot Takes Wednesday. I've been Dre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys soon. Sayonara. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.